Thanks for taking the time to download this BBC Radio 5 Live podcast. To search for other podcasts you might like, click bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live, where you'll also find our terms of use. What's up, what's up, what's up? What's really funny is that Welcome in order to, to do that, you have to take your face away from the microphone. Because it's too loud and too horrible. Plus, our engineer is sitting with us in the studio because otherwise it would be all over the place. So, uh, as part of the show, uh, we thought Nicolas has his own little uh, fan club, so we thought we'd bring him in Merci. as it's a festive period and say Joyeux Noël. Joyeux Noël. À tous. Uh, eh bien. À tous. Très bien. Ça va? That means yes, to the two of you. Yeah, no, to everyone. Oh, to, uh, no, to no, all? I'm, I'm, I'm quite generous, then. To everyone. But it's in and to you too. It's tous. Tous. Not tous. Which is also the same word for tousser, <coughs> coughing. A tous. Loads of people have, have enjoyed you coming on the show far more than they Thank enjoy you. listening to us. I doubt that. No, I think, that, I think that's true. Uh, anyway, Mark's got a specific request. Can you say hey. literally a masterpiece that cannot be equaled, but in your strongest French accent? I don't have a strange... Uh, no, you have a strange <laughs> accent. Just, 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 as if you're... Okay, seduce me with the language. Yeah. What do I, what's my line? Literally, literally a masterpiece uh. that cannot be equaled. And the bitter virtues of oranges ripened Stop under the tropical so sun. That's what I want. That's what I want. Okay? Literally, literally a masterpiece that cannot be equaled. And I've forgotten the rest. And the bitter virtues? And the bitter virtues of oranges. Of oranges! Right. Your mother said, was a hamster. <laughs> <My mother. laughs> what? Yes, go on. Your, your mother was a hamster. Uh, my mother was a hamster. And your father... And your father... Smelt of elderberries. Smelt of... Oh, what am I... It's all right. It's a Monty Python line. We're now... Ah, Feche yes. la vache! Oh... Pardon? Fetche la vache. Fetche la vache. Yes, what does that, that mean? Spanish. No. Fetche. Fe- yeah, that's franglais, but la vache is the cow. La and vache, they, yes. And they throw a cow over the... I, I missed that one. I really <laughs> like Monty Python. Anyway, what this is, is a podcast which will bring you the best of Wittertainment and the countdown of the, uh, the Wittertainment Top Ten, all perfectly engineered by Nicola. Nicola, yeah. thank you very much I to you and all your studio management colleagues for making us sound Thank you. I hope you won't sound too French. Can you give us a sort of, sort of sexy French message for all the listeners? Because I could just basically listen to you talk um, all day. Uh, in French or in English? I don't care, as long as it's not rude. Uh, no, I just, well, uh, I'm going to be playing your, your... I just want to say that I'm going to be playing your show that we pre-recorded today. So Because someone has to do it. You know? So I hope you're having a good time at home. You see how I'm doing them? Do it sort of, do it sort of low, like kind of whispering sweet nothing. I see what you mean. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I hope you're having a nice time in your at home and uh, that you've drunk a bit too much because that's what we like. And the bitter virtues. And the bitter virtues. Okay, on with the show. Hello and general greetings in a non-time-specific way. Happy post-Christmas period to you, Mark. What's up, Simon? <laughs> well, it is. We just. How was it, your Christmas? Well, it was. Am I allowed to make stuff up? It was. You could just go ahead and make stuff up. It, it was interesting, and and I ate some things. Did you? And I drank a few things. Great. And I opened a couple of presents. How about you? What did you get? What was well, the best thing you got? The best thing I got. Yeah, go on. Was uh, I? Might, I probably got some IPA. Some. Oh yes, fine. Yes, very good. Uh, and I particularly enjoyed getting some nice wine. Yes, very good. And probably some <laughs> jeans. 
some cheese or some jeans. Jeans, not some cheese. Some jeans. <laughs> this is some cheese. Of no, course, that is the true spirit of. If you get those those miniature ones, that's yeah. the true spirit of the of the of the time of season. But what the, the miniature wine and cheese? That little baby cheeses. <laughs> it's a joke. Very good. It's a joke. I actually believe I originated many many years ago. And it's, but I think it was still quite good. I anyway, to... how about you and your uh, specific? Oh, it's yes, been fabulous. Thank you very much. Um, uh, I, I suspect I got a Harrington. Um, Not another one. I says, well, you can never have too many. Yeah, but you've got about a hundred. No, I've got fourteen. No, well, fifteen. Although one of them, yeah, no, well, fourteen functioning. Fourteen functioning. Are we allowed to mention specific? Products? It's not a product name. Harrington is a generic term for a, yeah. There's not there, there. There is no jacket that you can buy that's actually called a Harrington. Well, the one you're wearing at the moment looks as though you're about to fly a mission over Germany. Yeah, this is my midjour from the Ultravox oh, video Ultra jacket. Oh, exactly, I it was yeah. like World War Two. Well, you know, when he was doing all that, um, you know, when Ultravox did all those videos, they were always standing around on an airfield with a lot of mist, and then a robot holding a cocktail. You don't. And look he had, and he had the moustache that made him look like he like he just you know had a fight with Biggles. I always thought you wore an RAF pickles. Anyway, look, the reason we're here uh, is to present to you uh, in a non-live... But don't text, OK, and don't email. Because we're not here. And the because live truth be told, we've recorded this before Christmas, so we have no idea how Christmas has gone. We hope it's gone well for you, and we hope it's gone well for us. And here we are on Five Live. I haven't mentioned the name of the network. I, I, it's always my job to do that because Mark is never quite sure what the name of the network is. But anyway, we're Five Live or BBC Radio Five Live. There might have been a change yes. over the festive period. <laughs> you never know. So the purpose of the next <laughs> couple of hours uh, is to bring you uh, the Wittertainment Top Ten, which we'll do in our, uh, our our second hour. And in this particular hour, the best bits of the show, because mm. remarkably there have been some. We won't be able to fit the best bits of the show of the year into you, one. This, it, it's a cornucopia, surely. A potpourri. Or, but cornucopia is actually that thing at the very beginning of the Hunger Games when everybody has to commit foul bloodshed, so I probably don't mean that. Cornucopia, potpourri, uh, yeah, that's, it's sort of the same Pot thing. Potpourri, I've never understood potpourri. What's, what, the, the point of it is what? They look the like po- vegetable crisps, but you can't eat them. <laughs> but, but, but what are they actually meant to do? Do they, they smell nice? Is that it? I think so. So it's, it's stink, it's scent, right? It's stink in a bag. That's well, what potpourri is. I'm not sure you'd get a job it's, marketing it like that. No, but that is what it is, isn't it? You don't do, you don't put it in food or anything. You just it just sits there and it's it's potpourri, right? Yes. Okay, fine. Good. I think it's potpourri. If you say potpourri, it makes you sound very common. I do know it's potpourri. Thank you very <laughs> much. I just mention it. Uh, right. So look. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, we haven't had to Lord decide. Oh, it's potpourri. The best bits of the no show. No more Christmas pudding for me, Mama. I'm off to play the grand piano. This has been selected fencing. by you. So, uh, in this particular section, we're going to hear re- bits requested by <clears throat> Addison Wiley, Ryan Philip Pollard, Emmanuel Raga, Steve Clark, Sammy Morrison, Wittetaney, Thomas Bickerdyke, which is my favourite name. Uh, yeah, I think that's about it. So these are all bits that his have been... can't really be Wittertainee. No, no, no. That's his name title. really is Bickerdyke. No, I didn't suspect that. I suspected like the fact that his name was Wittertainee. It uh, seemed like a terrible coincidence. So what we're going to do is we're going to play some of the what best What if he'd bit... been a fan of some other rival film programme? That would have created real problems. There, there aren't we... any other no, there aren't any film others. programmes that we how many? About. How many downloads are we getting a month at the moment? I can't remember. Is it 1.56? Everything might have million? changed. Everything's changed. It's after Christmas. Everything has changed. So here we go. So part one, best of the year, and 
where else could we start but with some minor European royalty? You came here to play the greatest role of your life. Her Serene Highness, Princess Grace of Monaco. Duchess of Valentinois and 137 more titles that come with it. God help you. You make it sound so easy. Grace of Monaco. So the whole of the film is done at this register, which is kind of infantile beyond belief. You start ending up wondering whether what's going on is that Hahn seems to be sort of making all these references to old kind of like rear projection Hollywood because at the beginning you see you know she's she's finishing her last shots of high society whatever it is and then she and while well, all the stuff that's going on in Monaco you look you look at scenes and you go okay is it that this is incredibly creaky or is it that actually he's paying homage to a bygone age of Hollywood in which conversations on screen were held in a, you you think I can't figure out whether it's homage or just rubbish and actually the answer is it's probably both there are unbelievable, I mean, literally slack jaw, what moments in which, for example, the underlying premise of the script is this. There is something really fearsomely noble about tax evasion. And uh, actually, if we could all just believe in that, because the whole point is the French have blockaded Monaco because Monaco has become a tax haven and France has been involved in the Algerian war, which is kind of, you know, alluded to somewhere in the background. And France wants Monaco to pay its taxes. And there are these moments where, for example, um, you know, Princess Grace gets up and does these speeches about, well, you know, some people may think that what we do is bad, but I believe in fairy tales. And Charles de Gaulle goes, oh, all right, then. I mean, it is at at a dinner at which he incidentally wasn't there. And Tahan has said these wonderful things. He said, yes, de Gaulle wasn't at the dinner, but I need him to be there for my stage. So what you're saying is, right, there is a vague historical background, but you've decided to throw all that out of the window. And the film opens with this, uh, you know, this curly thing about the idea of my life as a fairy tale is itself a fairy tale, and then proceeds to be the most preposterous fairy tale imaginable, whilst telling you, this is the story behind the fairy tale. And there were wonderful things in, in you read interviews with him in which he says, well, I was trying to make the story more mature, more grown up. And really, think, really, because you've managed to infantilize it beyond belief. It is like, you know, everyone appears to be playing in pantomime. Poor old Nicole Kidman, bless her, is doing her very best. You know, she's really, she's giving it, she's really trying to, and, Dehan spends his whole time with her, with his camera pressed, like, right close into her face, you know, right close up on her eyeballs and right close up on her nose and right... It's just, like, back off! That's a fantasy. That's a fairy tale, Grace. It's not real life. Well, let's do Let's Be Cops. It starts off as, look, these guys are total dorks and total dweebs and total idiots and, you know, let's love But halfway through it does a thing about totally lost its nerve. I know, let's actually turn them into people who are going to become heroic. And so, I'm sorry, I'm now meant to like, I'm now suddenly meant to feel sympathy. And actually, despite everything, oh, suddenly they're heroic and wonderful. And then Andy Garcia comes on in this, literally, he's got a stamp on his head, which is, where's the check? Where is the ch- I'm just, I'm just, just, I like to believe I'm here. Where, where is the check? Because I have other things in my resume. Just give me the check now. And then it all stops. And it's actually not very long. I mean, it's 104 minutes long, but could have been three hours. You know, Lucy, 
Right, yes. in the time... That Number one movie. <laughs> okay, yeah, fine. So in the time that it went for Luc Besson to reinvent the human race, these two guys dress up as cops, hilariously pull guns on each other in public, which is always funny, and then turn into real heroes. It's rubbish. On the subject of bad behaviour, which we were talking about, just are mm. you still banned from the, from the Daily Show in America? I don't know. It's a good point. I, I, I have no idea. Because John Stewart said you, I think he said you were the worst guest he'd ever had, and we've had dictators on this show, and he sort of banned you from life, banned you for life. I know, I know. What did I you know. do? Well, it turns out that I did have, I did have a bit of a mini tanty backstage. A mini tanty? Yeah, I did a bit. They they were playing a clip, and the film was not working very well anyway, so it's always a bit of a grind if the film's not working. And they were playing a clip, and they they'd cut the joke out, and some producer told me that beforehand, and I was cross with her. And uh, he quite rightly defended her. Five minutes from now, this team will save thousands of lives. Under no circumstances does this briefcase leave the area or it's war. He's on his way. Good or bad, when you work for the agency, all teams in position, it becomes your whole life. Uh, let's do uh, Three Days to Kill, mm, the new film by McGee. Now, here's the thing, right, Kevin Costner. You know, it's a Liam Neeson role, basically. It's a, you know, they did a bunch of bad things and something bad's going to happen. He's got to go to Europe and punch a bunch of people and shoot things, right? In this case, Kevin Costner, so, on the, yeah, he's a hitman, but he's ill. And he's got to deal with his family. And he's got to teach his daughter to ride a purple bike. I mean, that's that. Why, why does he have to teach his daughter to ride a bike? It's a metaphor. For? I don't know. It's a family bonding thing. It's utter nonsense. It's utter tripe. I mean, Mick G has succeeded in making a film that makes both Waterworld and The Postman look fearsomely substantial in the Kevin Costner back catalogue. So here's the thing. Kevin Costner, he's sinking himself into his European role. And Mick G, you know, the great American filmmaker, gave us Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels, full throttle. Terminator Salivation. Mick G, Mick G, yeah. Does he hey. actually talk like that? I'm sure he does. I'm sure, I've never met him, but no. I'm sure he talks like that. You know, it's just empty. It, the word empty doesn't even begin to describe the emptiness of McGee's movies. Although, actually, when you're up against the sort of, you know, the Michael Bays and Zack Snyder's of this world, he is but a footnote. Anyway, so Kevin Costner, he's got this thing, yeah, he's got his illness, but he's got to kill people. And he's American, but he's... In, so he's conflicted. How does he portray on screen that he's conflicted? Take a guess. Take a guess how Kevin Costner plays conflicted. Uh, he frowns. He wears the blue powder scarf of conviction. He has got a powder blue scarf that he wears the whole time. The whole time. And the reason he wears it is, hey, you know, because he's conflicted. Because he's sensitive, but he's a killer. He's old, and yet he's trying to make up with his family. Are you saying it sort of makes it's him a look artistic? It makes him look like an idiot. And it makes him look like somebody who's gone to the wardrobe room and said, you know, I've got to play this character. He's deeply conflicted. You know, he's a killer, but he loves his family. He's got to teach his daughter to ride the bike. And How he, does wearing a scarf thing. make him look Yeah, conflicted. exactly. Because... Because it's like, it's virtually, it's never off. He's in the bath, he's in the whatever it is. He's, the scarf is on, the whole, it is well, clearly. He's just cold. I don't he understand. is wearing the scarf of conflict and the socks of selling his soul to McGee. Sorry, now, where were we? Kermode and Mayo's Film Review, the best of 2014. This is BBC Five Live. Paddington Bear was done because I've always wanted a Paddington Bear. So, yeah, no, Paddington was so that I could... I mean, this is the craziest thing. I was like, I'll do this for my children. And then they're like, oh, my gosh, are you playing the bear's mummy? And I'm like, I'm not playing the bear's mummy. No, I'm playing the person. And that's when I realised they can't go see this film. I'm playing the taxidermist that wants to hurt the bear. That's my terrible. Da- oh, oh, my daughter was that's mortified. A risk. This is a risk. 
It was a risk. It's a terrible risk. They can't see it now. So <laughs> they've seen the trailer and they laugh uproariously at the trailer. I laugh at that trailer. That's a, just, it's adorable. The bear's adorable, but I'm not adorable. <laughs> I'm vicious and awful in it. Tim in Staines, uh, I have to relay a recent wittertainment-related injury uh, oh, yeah. that I suffered. As a member of the Salvation Army, though not a qualifier for Clergy Corner, I've spent the last couple of weeks taking part in the organisation's annual fundraising appeal. Part of this involves posting donation envelopes through people's letterboxes in our local area, which we then collect a few days later. During the posting phase of this operation, I am accompanied by my generic MP3 player and a variety of podcasts. I was coming to the end of a row of houses a few days ago as Mark began to review that film uh, with Helen Mirren and her, whether she had a good or bad French accent. accent. I was met... It's a hundred well, journey. journey. Yeah, I was met by a letter... Jinx. Pardon? Jinx, we said it together, you have to jinx. You have to, we have to jinx. Yeah, you have to do it with a little finger. You have to... No, oh, then it's bad luck. Fine. Oh, my... Fine. How will I get there the week? someone who thinks so much like me. Jinx. Jinx again. I can't believe you don't do that. No, I've never even heard of it. Jinx. Yeah, where do you live? London. You should be like, you, you know, do that. Where, where does the word you streetwalker live... come from? What's jinx? Are you from Mars? Are you like the man who fell to Earth? Jinx. You Most say people... you say the same thing at the same time. You say jinx, and you hook if your you're fingers. if you're eight, maybe. If Hang you're... on. Do you know you know this? Yes. Thank you. I'm getting. Well, Robin's saying no, but he's he's equally ganging up. But the, but everyone else is saying yes. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jinx. Never mind, carry I on. I think most people are going, I haven't got the first idea. No, most people are going, how can Simon Mayo not know that? Well, it's that amazing that somebody Kevin who's crazy. such a popular DJ can be so out of touch. Anyway. something crazy? Will you marry me? Can I say something even crazier? Yes! Blended. Uh, blended is that uh, most splendid of things, a new Adam Sandler movie. There's a story that, you know, Michael Caine signed up for, jo for Jaws 4 because somewhere on the script it said, fade in the Bahamas, and he went, fine. Here it went, fade in, uh, you know, a lavish resort. It's uh, fine. It's just hang around. What are we going to do? We're going to read some bits of the script out every now and then? Fine. Get some kids together. Just, yeah, make it family film. Family film. Get a holiday out of it. Fine. I mean, it's toe-curlingly bad. And the worst thing about it is that there's, there's kind of at least something acceptable about... Adam Sandler making incredibly cynical and sort of gross comedies. But when he tries to do that mawkish, really, really sort of skin-crawling sentimentality, the, hey, you know, hey, in the end, good father, good mother, it's just like, shut up. And as I always say when we get to this point with Adam Sandler, the worst thing is that in his back catalogue is proof that he knows the difference. And so, you know, the, the, the war on culture continues. I, I, some, I, it's almost like he's made some kind of weird pact to see how bad of a movie he can make before everybody goes, hang on a minute, we're not doing this anymore. Um, yes, you do sound disappointed. 
It's, it's, it's ghastly. One of the things which is just there, and again, one of the reasons why I think it's got such good reviews, is it is about someone coming from darkest Peru and saying, I'm going to go uh, to the UK and they know how to welcome strangers. And it is about everyone finding a place in London. Uh, and it's not overly done, but there's certainly an element of how do you treat people from a different culture mm-hmm. in there. Just a hint of it. I think there's, there's that. But also bear in mind the time that Michael created this character. It was also the, you know, the image of the evacuees on the platforms of Britain were, were very strong uh, in, in recent memory <clears throat> with their gas masks and their, if you like, labels around their necks saying, please look after me. Uh, plus the, the refugees symbolised in, in Mr Gruber's character who you know, trekked across Europe to escape trouble in his own country. So you put all those elements together of, yes, the, 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 the immigrant from, from overseas coming to settle in West London, uh, the evacuees and the refugees, uh, that's all that sense of displacement and trying to find acceptance is very much a, a strong flavour in the film. My feeling about it was that, that, that you know, you could either sit there and, and just goggle at the landscapes and like the characters and like the battles and like the leaping and like the jumping and like the bit with the pirate and the bit with the thing, or you could enjoy the, you know, the satirical gags about consumer culture and about, you know... I mean, you could do... I, I thought there was something for everybody. What's and the song? Everything is awesome! I guarantee you, you will, if you go and see the Lego movie, this is the, you will come out of it singing this song... In an only mildly ironic way, okay? Okay. Everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome. We live in our dream. And so the gag in the film is that that song is horrible, right? And it's the way of you know, it's the way of making everybody conform. He wakes up in the morning and he conforms and he opens the instructions on how to have a good day and be a good citizen and it's watch the television, watch the message from President Business and then listen to this uplifting song. Everything is... And it's awful. But by the end of the film, awful as it is, it's wormed its way into your brain and I promise you, you won't be able to get it out of your head in a way which is really annoying but actually very funny. Hello, Sir Ken, by the way. Hello. Hi. Thank you very much indeed for coming in. Was it the world at one you were going to? Where was it? We saw you going you down the You wandered off down there. No, I just went to the loo. I just, oh, I fine. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Sorry, sir. Anyway, do you want to... You don't have to call him sir. You know that, don't you? <laughs> Only just as the, in the opening exchanges. Is that is how it, it works? Is, it, is, is the general rule, do people, the first time, are they meant to say sir and then... No, I think there's no, there's no meant to, and certainly nobody, nobody has been observing those rules, but it's very sweet for you. Well, I just think, it, it, you know, it's courteous. It's oh, nice go on, do me. the other crawly bit that you were going to do. <laughs> no, no, it, it gets worse, right? He called you sir, and now, look, he brought you chocolate. Ah, you, you darling! Would you, like, would you like my chocolate bar? The yeah, one well, with... you're very kind, Well, it's without revealing the name of it. I've already done that. that. Oh, have you? Yeah. But it, I, well, I won't continue to support it, but it contains two separate pieces. One of them I'm Sending right back your way. I'm very grateful. Okay. For the, you, would you like half a one, Mark? I'm fine. Thank you, you for offering. To, no, it's fine. You do have to keep the wrapper out of sight of the cameras because otherwise we get into, uh, you know. Oh, crikey. Okay. I know, exactly. I tell you what, it's very scary already, but I'm taking one out. Thank you very much. That's okay. What, what, sorry, what are the reindeers? Reindeers are really handy because they pull the sleigh through the sky. What's a sleigh? A sleigh is a thing that Santa rides in. Yeah, it's like a big wooden car pulled by the reindeers through the night sky. And who's Santa? Oh, Dad! 
Well, he's a bit bigger than that, and he's fatter. What? Yeah, he's got a huge white beard and a sack of presents. He goes, ho, 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 Merry Christmas. How does he know what presents to get people? You write a list and post it to the North Pole. Tell him about Naughty or Nice list. You're either naughty or you're nice. And I think the whole of the class will get on the nice list. And I think you would maybe get on the bad list. Why? Because you don't remember Christmas. Yes. Christmas is magical. That's why we make Christmas wishes in our wishing well. We put magic fairy dust in that mum left us. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Do you want to hear some of the theme tunes? No, not really. Oh, no, go on. Just, just ten seconds. Go on. Do you remember what you've done with my donkey? Hey, dude, where's my donkey? Hey, dude, where has he gone? My wife is having a baby with no donkey. What's up, what's up, what's up? That's enough. It is absolutely enough. I mean, I really... I, 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 this, I take no pleasure in this at all because I don't want to be, you know, grumpy, grouchy, scroogey, humbug. But it's rubbish. I mean, you know... And I know, I understand that, you know, Christmas comes but once a year and brings with it films that make you want to flee the country. But it's... It's... I mean, I, I just sat there wanting it... Now, I know I'm not the target audience, OK? But I would rather watch a 24-hour marathon of Chuckle Brothers on CBBC. That's good. I, words fail me. Parents will be taken to see this... By their children. Do you think? Is that it? Actually, no, I don't think. And, 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 and if anyone can, I, I wonder whose job it was to do the plot synopsis for this for Sight and Sound. And the, the flash mo- it's... No, I don't say it very often, but words fail me. Pretty pointless being a critic if words fail you, though, isn't it? Well, it's more to do with that thing about... <laughs> getting cross about it. The, the, it... <laughs> No, but it's all, it's all just words are happening. still failing. The, 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 the area in which words don't fail me is this. That movie took a very large amount of money. In its first week, it took something like $1.8 million. In its second week, it dropped by only 14%. Now, this was used... Why are you talking in dollars, anyway? Oh, sorry, uh, pounds. I beg oh, it is pounds, is it? Yeah, it is pounds. Okay. It is pounds. Sorry, it's, that's just you. It's not talking about box office. You automatically. If you went to the old Stanley, you wouldn't have been paying in dollars. Would no, you really? no, you would have been paying in sweets. Um, so it took a whole load of money, despite how uh, roughly critics treated it. And believe me, my you know, a lot of critics were a lot ruder than I was. And I would just like to say once again that this absolutely demonstrates that what critics say about films makes no difference to the box office and the next time you know a film company feels like complaining that their film didn't do well because it got bad reviews i will just point them towards nativity three and go that film got the most royal kicking and look how much money it took i would also add that just because something takes a bunch of money doesn't mean people necessarily like it. It in, is perfectly possible to good. pay for a film that very you good. don't enjoy. Very good. So you have you heard this before? Yes, you can stop. Now. OK, fine. And in that part, we heard, amongst others, Hugh Grant, Nicole Kidman, Hugh Bonneville and Sir Kenneth Branagh. After the news, more highlights chosen by you, including Toby Jones, David Fincher, Benedict Cumberbatch, plus reviews of Horrible Bosses 2, The Babadook, Pudsey, Transformers... And Mrs. Brown's boys. So, uh, more with uh, our extended cornucopia in just a moment. This is Five Live. So, this is part two of our Wittertainment seasonal post Christmas uh, bash. 
uh, which is being uh, played a number of times, so we're not making any reference to time to of, day, day of week or it is. indeed the day it is. But it is 2014. I'm not sure if I can say that. Yes, it is still 2014. The December 2014. Unless we've gone through the interstellar time warp, That's it is still it 2014. So some more best of stuff as requested by you. This time it's um, Sammy Morrison, Mark Donaldson, Andrew Hanley, Sarah Calamassi, Simon Koffler, Paul Baker, Stuart Armstrong, Luke Robinson and Simon Williams have all contacted the programme. Because the question is, what's the best stuff of the year? Yes. OK? Yes. We've answered that with a whole bunch of stuff in the first half hour. Yes. This is what was left. Whose greatest talent... We've got to run away, JCB! No! Tommy! ...is being a hero. Tommy, no! I'm doing Tommy! Aren't we dogs? We don't dance. Well, after that performance... I've changed my mind. Pudsy, the movie, featuring David Walliams as the voice of Pudsy. Yes, it's me. Who else? You finally did it! I said I could. Well, I never... Um, here's the thing. I am as ready as the next man to be entertained by the sight of a dog standing on its back leg and spinning round and a pig dressed as a chicken attempting to lay an egg and accidentally doing a poo. I mean, you know, I'm British. I understand that this stuff is... <laughs> really? Does that happen? So the story is, you know, this family, they have to move to a place in the country that's being... Uh, Lord of the Manor is John Sessions, sort of channelling... Uncle Monty, and they take the dog with them, and some stuff happens. And the funny thing is, um, I've got nothing against the idea of Pudsy the movie. The the thing that's surprising is just how grotty a piece of work the film is, just in terms of the ugliness of the filmmaking. I mean... Yeah, sometimes I've used the phrase televisual as a as a criticism of cinema, but no no television station would broadcast this. I mean, if you're familiar with the sort of stuff that goes out on CBBS, if you've think, seen things like Brum, if you've seen things like the Chuckle Brothers, I mean, believe me, that stuff is Lawrence of Arabia compared to the way this film looks. I mean, just on a technical level, it is just unbelievably bad to look at. It's also, uh, you know, it's not funny and all the rest of it. And you say, oh, fine, well, okay, he's being a sniffy critic. I was in a screening, a small screening, when there was some critics and I think a four-year-old child, a very smart four-year-old child, incidentally, who just spent the whole film just going, why am I interested in this? Who are these people? Why do I care? I mean... There is probably a way of making a Pudsy the Dog movie that's perfectly fine. This isn't it. I mean, believe me, if you go and see this, if you pay to go and see this, you will want to get your money back. because Just because you'll be shocked that somebody could have put something that looks that bad on a screen. It's, it's, it's terrible. And I don't see that, say that with any joy at all. I don't like, you know, hey, Michael Bay's made a terrible movie. It's just the Pudsy movie. It's just on, an, on a movie-making level. As I said, it's, it, it, you, to say it was televisual would be to do an insult to television. I think it's in cinemas because no television station in their right mind would broadcast this. Shameful. Shameful. Poor Pudsey. What do you ever do to deserve it? John Wilders, on an email, is Pudsey worse than Mrs Brown's boys? No, um, yes, I mean, it's worse made. Yes, it is. So, which I mean, would, I, so if you had to see one of those again... Tonight. Oh, Mrs. Brown's Boys. Yeah, I'd see Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, in D-Box. I'd see the movie in the box rather than watch Pudsey again. It was, it was terrible. Did they I have mean, a... I said, I mean, obviously, I'm getting no pleasure out of telling you this. I like pigs. What's that got to do with oh, anything? Well, there's a pig dressed as a chicken trying to lay an egg. That's a standing joke. And okay. a talking horse. I mean, you know, things I like. It, I like dogs. I don't think he likes dogs. This war 
We're not winning it. If you speak a word of what I'm about to show you, you will be executed for high treason. It's beautiful. It's the greatest encryption device in history, and the Germans use it for all communications. Everyone thinks Enigma is unbreakable. Let me try, and we'll know for sure. Mr. Turing, do you know how many died because of it? I don't. Three. While we've been having this conversation. Delighted to say Benedict Campbell... <laughs> Very good. Say it, we'll say it again. Delighted. So delighted you get to say it twice. Deli- <laughs> delighted to say Benedict Cumberbatch joins us on the programme. Hello, Benedict. Hello, Simon. How are you? Uh, I'm very good, and thank you. It's very nice to have you on the programme again. And normally I end up with listeners' uh, questions, but there's just one I want to mention right at the very beginning. All right. From listener Jane, who says, Is there anything that Benedict would like to punch Mark for this time? <laughs> I don't, it remains to be seen. We'll wait and find out. Yeah, well... Um, this, I mean, this was not the way it was reported recently, but actually was, I think you just punched him lightly on the arm. This is going back years. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were, and I think there is some kind of evidence, isn't it? I mean, you, you, I don't know if back then you did, but I know you have cameras all over your, your, uh, your studios <laughs> yeah. now, but um, probably to protect Mark from other assaults on it by actors. But no, it was a light. It was a light, oi, and I tried to give him a sort of dead arm. I mean, he was sitting right next to me. <laughs> it's, it, the, the temptation is overwhelming. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the film is this... Ex- extraordinary juxtaposition of on the one hand this heroic story and thrilling mm. story of the breaking uh, of enigma and then uh, as you talk about the the tragedy of what happened to him after the war and mm. you, and and the triumph of the film i think is to make that the wartime stuff really exciting even though you sort of know how it's going to end yeah and that even though and i think most people will know um that alan turing committed suicide you, you mentioned the estrogen injections the shock of the fact that not exactly in our lifetime, but in very recent history, yeah. the British judicial system mm. was capable of saying to a man, two years in prison or chemical castration. And it's the barbarity of it that, that, yeah. that is still shocking. It is. It is. It completely is. It feels uh, extraordinarily medieval. It feels just, it feels devoid of any kind of nuance or subtlety or understanding. And it is. It was. And I think it was born out of paranoia, fear, and terror, you know, the idea of the red threat and the Cambridge spies. And mainly, I think, his outsiderdom was born out of the very fact that, partly because of who he was, but partly because of his sexuality, that hundreds of, I mean, thousands of men, like I said before, suffered the same fate. And I think when you start to um, say that something's illegal, when you make it contraband, when it becomes something that is unallowable and, and, and criminal you're going to create a clandestine environment. So, of course, the meshing of communism and homosexuality, you know, those two things had a, had a perfect marriage. Men for decades had had to live um, secret lives if they were gay. And everything about their most intimate moments and feelings had to be not just suppressed, but lived out in a very clandestine and, and um, secretive manner. So you can see why society had been whipped up into a furore and, and terror and, and fear about communism, but at the same time, they created this marriage between the idea of um, an alternate, alternative political system and the best people to um, work as spies or people with secrets were people who were already living secret lives, which were, which were gay men and, and women. I mean, that's the extraordinary thing. It wasn't illegal because Vic- Queen Victoria didn't believe such a thing existed famously, you know. So it was, it was horrendous. It was, it was a horrendous period of history and, and like you say, incredibly recent. Is that the sound of John Fox? Could be. 
It's either that or somebody's hoovering in the studio. This isn't the bit anyone recognises, though, is it? We well, were John... all, all, all electro music. So... Oh, oh there that's we it. go. And of course, the deal is, around about this time, you, had... you all had to sound the same. A little bit of Gary Newman, a little bit of David Bowie. A little bit of air synth. Here we go, John Fox then. Standing in the dark Watching you glow It's not very tuneful, is it? And then people then have to do the sort of slightly robot dance in clubs. Oh, I'm very alienated. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, not making eye contact. I'm a bit futuristic. I'm like Yul Brynner in Westworld. Yeah, I'll have a rum and coke. <laughs> what a shame. That's what it was like. What a shame this isn't being live streamed. Has he shared... <laughs> Are we saying underpass? We talked all over it. Now we've got to talk all over another, another interminable verse. That's what would happen. People would get up and they'd do that thing. They'd do the alienated angry turkey dance, which was like, yeah, this is how I dance if like I was an android. Which I am an android. I've got no feelings. Yeah. You're around. I don't want to... Who are you? Boss! Cracker Jack! <laughs> yeah, he'll have another one. Hang on. Underpants! Jules and Candy Anchum, I just asked my 10-year-old, as she says jinx, whether she says jinx or... She said, yeah, everyone knows that. Except me in silence, says Jules. Exactly. Jinx is definitely a thing. They do it in Frozen. I should know. I've watched it hundreds of times. Ben in Edinburgh, father of two girls under five. Because my children are the wrong... I didn't see Frozen. Oh, yeah, Frozen. they do do it in Frozen. I didn't see Frozen. See, I didn't see it. Who do you think you are kidding, Mr Hitler? Have you got Captain Mannering's voice? Well, that's an interesting question, uh, whether to try and simulate uh, his his voice. And I think that clearly the interest for us is, is not to try and imitate those actors, but to try and get something of the dynamics of that gro- group of people. That's what's entertaining. If we slavishly try and simulate all syllable by syllable how they sounded, I think that that's a, you're on a hiding to nothing. So, undoubtedly, things will hopefully sound a little bit reminiscent of those characters, but really, the main thing is to get the relationships correct. Have you watched old episodes? I've watched the oldest episodes, which are really interesting, the black and white ones, where they were setting it up, because I thought it would be interesting to see how those characters were established. There's some quite risque jokes in the really early ones, which I don't think have been repeated very much, because you think that's a bit off-colour, to use an old-fashioned phrase. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... (laughs) I bow to people's greater knowledge of this stuff. I, I mean, it's a bit like Harry Potter, where you tread very carefully into any kind of suggestion you know more than anyone else, because people are obviously slavish Dad's Army fans, and I'm sure that they thoroughly disapprove of this entire in- enterprise. Kermode and Mayo's film review, the best of 2014. This is BBC Five Live. It's time to go to the Copacabana Beach. It's time for Mark Chapman. Uh, and uh, the, the key question, the key thing, Mark, is yeah. is the Copacabana the hottest spot north of Havana? And is there any sign of Lola the showgirl? <laughs> there is no sign of Lola the showgirl, although, to be fair, Simon, I, I haven't actually 
been looking. Uh, mainly, no, no. I think my I wife might be listening. I think my wife might be listening moment. to the show. Are music fashion always the fashion? That's the main thing. Well, certainly in all our lives. Although not sat, not sat around this table when I got Pat Nevin next to me, who's just come from a jog <laughs> and is just looking particularly horrible and sweaty. Uh, and it's not particularly hot either because it's nice and overcast here in Rio, which might make you feel uh, slightly better. Is there any sign of Rico who's wearing a diamond? Shall we, are we going to go through the whole three and a half yeah. minutes? Or Why shall I just move on? <laughs> we could have just played the song. <laughs> I think the question is, who shot who? Yeah. Maybe you could answer that before the end of the programme. Thank you very much. Uh, one of the most surreal handovers I've done on Five Live uh, with Simon and the Good Doctor. Anyway, what else is new? Uh, Horrible Bosses 2. I think we've already guessed <laughs> from your voice Have you? precisely what you you've already done yes. the You've already done the math on this. Okay, so Horrible Bosses 2. Here's a clip. How'd you do? I did great. I actually got a couple Wait. extra supplies because I think we've got to be more careful this time around. You know Absolutely. I, mean? no, I got a magazine call. to cut up the ransom note. So smart. Can't be writing it by hand. The Dora Explorer walkie-talkies. Awesome. Is that well, awesome? it's not a spy store. It's a convenience store. It's the only time. Did you get scissors? Yeah. I got some scissors. I don't yeah. see any latex gloves in here. They're, like, super expensive. I didn't want it. How much? Another nine bucks a pair. That's ridiculous. Right? Oh it's too much. It's the only know, thing you went in there to buy. Go get it. Hey, you know what we can do? We can use my golf gloves I got uh, in my bag. He's got gloves in his golf bag. Okay, All right? Don't do poke that holes thing. in everything because okay. I'm trying to help out. Guys, the team's back together. <laughs> I call lookout, and I will let you know if I see Swiper. I'm rustling paper just to fill the embarrassing mm. gap before Mark can work out what it, okay, so, quite what levels of contempt he's going to reach. Well, g- g- let me be honest. I mean, quite high levels of contempt. Firstly, in a sort of, you know, fusty old man kind of way, I'm really fed up of the vulgarisation of modern comedy, which basically thinks that, that the height of hilarity is getting a bunch of middle-aged men together to talk you know, I mean, that's that's a clip that's broadcastable, but there's like, you know, it's, it's, I can't I, I can't even discuss the other stuff that they talk about because it's, you know, three. I know if you're listening on the podcast, it isn't. But it's that thing about, you know, hey, we talk rude and dirty. Yeah, because that's really funny because that's what guys do. And then you bring Jennifer Aniston into it in a role which can only be described as thoroughly humiliating. And then Kevin Spacey and Jamie Foxx turn up with kind of, hey, don't blame me, I'm just picking up the check looks on their face. And Christoph Waltz looks like he's desperate to be somewhere else. And Chris Pine just looks desperate. And then we get to the end when they do the outtakes thing. And then the outtakes thing is there to demonstrate to us that the people who made this film had such fun making it. Yeah, it was funny. Everything was funny. It was really funny making it. And I just think the same as before, which is I'm glad you enjoyed it. Amy, who are you? A, I'm an award-winning scrimshander. B, I'm a moderately influential warlord. Hmm. C, I write personality quizzes for magazines. Okay. Well, your hands are far too delicate for real scrimshaw work. And I happen to be a charter subscriber to Midland Warlord Weekly, so I recognize you. I'm going to go with C. And you? Who are you? I'm the guy to save you from all this awesomeness. And that's a clip from Gone Girl. I'm delighted to say that uh, David Finch, the director, is with us. David, good day to you. Ah, thank you. How do we find you, sir? 
I'm all right. I'm a little tired, but I'm all right. Would you agree uh, with Ben Affleck when he says this is an excellent date movie? Because <laughs> I'm not sure many people are going to go along with that. <laughs> I do. I think it's a great date movie if you enjoy talking to your date. <laughs> and if you really want some quiet time, it's probably not a good movie to go see with somebody that you, somebody that you love. Because... Because I think it will inspire, I mean, there is no doubt when we have screened this movie, and I've been to three or four screenings, there are things that happen in the film that divide divide the theater right down the line of male and female. And and I do think that people come out of it not, you know, I mean, it's it's sounds kind of cloying and silly, but there is... A Team Nick, Team Amy component to the thing, and and it's designed to be that way. This is the greatest advance in modern physics since the splitting of the atom. A rare metal, molecularly unstable. The one thing that, that I would say is it surprises me that over the course of all the films, Bay actually hasn't developed in any way at all. Bring it up. All the way. You guys have never seen a truck like this before. Dad, you can't keep spending money on junk. I don't think it's a truck at all. I think we just found a transformer. And I think that part of the reason for that is that he made Pain and Gain, which he considered to be his art house project. I'm going to ask you this once. He showed us his soul. Everyone went, blimey, I don't want to see that again. So he went, OK, fine. You, what you want is stupid. I'll give you stupid. <laughs> Humans are hunting us. I mean, I do think he is the angel of destruction sent to destroy cinema with his flaming sword of corpulent rubbish. Who sent you here? I do think that what he's doing is, you know, just kind of laying waste cinema by reducing everything to, it's not so much the lowest common denominator as the loudest common denominator. This is not war. It's human extinction. It doesn't matter what you're doing as long as you're doing it louder and longer and bigger than everybody else. And I'm... It doesn't surprise me that the movie is taking money because, like, uh, you know, like any major catastrophe... It in you know, pe- the people have a sort of weird, morbid thing about going. You know, it's like the old American thing about going out and looking at roadkill. Um, so it doesn't surprise me it's made a huge amount of money. It doesn't surprise me that people are going to see it just because even even I was kind of uh, you know stunned by just how long it was and just just how tedious it was and just how repetitive it was and just how incoherent it was and just how little anyone seemed to care about anything other than it being loud. So that is it. Michael Bay, the loudest common denominator You're quite proud of, of the apocalypse. Let's put that up there in big letters. So it just came to me. It's very good too. You can't get rid of the pepper dog. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. 
Stephen Martin. I saw the UK premiere of this movie at Fright Fest in August. I expected it to be one of the highlights of the five-day festival. Sadly, I was disappointed. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't scary. No jumps. It took a long time for the Babadook to appear. When he does, it's not at all frightening. The son, actor Noah Wiseman, spoiled the picture for me. What? He's so annoying, I just couldn't feel any sympathy for him. Okay. Quite frankly, I was hoping the Babadook would take him. I went to see... I... 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 Speechless. I went to see Annabelle last week. Yes, it's predictable, but there were more oh, intense don't, right, scenes. Don't give me, don't give me. <laughs> I went to see the Babadook and didn't like it, but I saw that Annabelle and it really worked. That's just, what Stephen Martin don't. says. Really, pass it in. Other views are sometimes not acceptable. Never done that before, but there we go. You made him cross. Not you? having that. I have a plan. Does it involve blind ninjas? Go. <laughs> Maybe. Where is Mrs. Brown? Shit, do something. In the studio with me today, I have Agnes Brown. We will hear what Mrs. Brown has to say. Two chips, one small card. <laughs> Threaten my mother, and I'm not having that. You are very dramatic. I love the movies. You don't mind a little examination, do you? Not as long as I can leave my clothes on. <laughs> Mrs. Brown's boys, dumb movie. Now what? I don't know. You could disguise yourself as a man. No, I'd never get away with it. In cinemas June 27. However, what I'm really waiting for... Mrs. Brown... Why are you so excited about Because me? I'm irritated by its title. OK, well, fine. So, the title is hugely irritating. Have you seen the television programme? Yes. I hate it. Right. And I appreciate that it is extremely popular mm -hmm. and loads and loads of people love the, uh, love the TV series and it's one of the most successful shows. Yeah. And, I, and I completely... Uh, no, and understand that it's just. I think okay. it's revolting. In the TV, revolting. Well, well I don't know. Awful. No, I mean, it's, I, harsh Dreadful. language from you because you're generally Mister Nice. So I went to because they didn't press screen it, um, and so I went to see it this morning at the Westfield View. And when I got there, Robbie Collin was there, so we sat together. And um, now Robbie has seen the TV show, uh, and although I don't, I don't think he's a fan. I think don't, don't think he dislikes it uh, like like you do. Certainly, says you know he understands that there's an audience for it, and blah 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 blah. So I mean, I you know what I'm like with television. <laughs> I've seen maybe sort of five seconds of it on TV. What I can tell you is this. I didn't laugh, I didn't titter, I didn't smirk, I didn't crack a smile. Is it because smile. you didn't see the... Because you're okay. unaware of the, of, of the kind of the running jokes, do you think? No, I don't think so at all, because I think that if it's a... You know, it's a comic... The movie's got 90 minutes of my time, and it is, OK, fine, so make me laugh. The film is an absolute stinker. Now, my suspicion is that there's one thing, me watching it, thinking, you know, this is just not funny on any level at all. It's, you know... I mean, no laughs at all. I'm not, I'm not just being mean. And I didn't, I didn't hate it or find it repugnant in the way that Keith Lemon, the film, was really vile and actually made you want to go out and bath in Clorox afterwards. There was none of that. There was just a, this is really long and not funny and not interesting and really long. And just, I, and, and the whole thing is they have to get a receipt. And in order for the receipt to have, they have to do this thing. And, and the a things for what? They, for, to, to prove that the person's paid the tax. 
And, you know, it's like, you know, catastrophe upon catastrophe. This happens and they drop it. And, then, and you just keep thinking, please, just, just, just get it to the court so the film can finish because I'm, I was really restless and I felt really uncomfortable. You could have seen Agent I didn't tomorrow. hate it. I didn't hate it because there's nothing to hate. I just looked at it. But what's interesting is there were other people in the cinema who were obviously Mrs. Brown's boys' fans. The movie. Two of them left. Over to my left-hand side, you, you asked Robbie this, over to my left-hand side, there was a couple of people who were laughing, okay? So out of eight people, a couple were laughing, two, four were silent, two walked out, and two were professional critics. You can't judge too much on one small screening. No, but what I can judge is having seen the movie from beginning to end, there are no laughs. I mean, no, none. Nul point. Nil. I think of all the films that you've been rude about... Mm-hmm. Appropriately so. Thank you. This year. Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie, the movie, is the one I want to see least. The least. Yeah, the least. <laughs> definitely the least. I, you know, Pudsey in comparison, I was, I'm quite looking forward to But I genuinely, and I realise that we might sound incredibly kind of out of touch here because it is such a popular yeah. movie yeah. and it was a very popular yes. uh, TV show, but it just makes my buttocks tighten. <laughs> when... You should have that on the poster. <laughs> Makes my buttocks tight inside my uh, So they're the best bits as suggested by you. And we just had Benedict Cumberbatch, Toby Jones, David Fincher and reviews of Pudsey the movie, Transformers Age of Extinction and Mrs Brown's Boys the movie. Coming up in the next hour on Five Live, the Wittertainment top ten movies of the year. Standing by for that, the news coming next. Hello, this is part of Wittertainment's festive uh, blockbuster package <laughs> in a non-time specific way going out on... A number of different days at a number of different times. And we hope you've, hope you've enjoyed half of the show so far. How's it gone for you, Mark? It's going very well. I'm very feeling good. very festive. How would we know? How would we know if I'm feeling festive? Yes. Um, well, I've got a, a, a spring in my step and a, and a leap in my voice. I don't know. OK, very good. I, you, you just sounded normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The normal festive mode spirit. Uh, so what you're listening to Five Live, by the way, and as we said before, don't text or email or do anything like that because it would be... I mean, you can. we're not here. Yeah, we're not here. I mean, you can do whatever you want. We're not telling you what to do, but it will not get read out and you will be charged, which okay. seems like a bit of a bum deal all round. Yes, really. exactly. So what we're going to do, uh, thank you very much for all your top threes which you've been sending in, uh, your favourite three movies uh, and why. Now, Mark, we, we did this. Uh, we did this last year. We've come up with a Wittertainment top ten, which is basically yes. uh, compiled with us both choosing ten favourite movies uh, of the year, yeah. allocating points accordingly. Yeah. So what? So what we did was both you and I uh, did a list of our ten favourite films of the year, and then we we did the points. So number one would get ten points, number two would get nine points, and then we collated the two of them together to make an official Wittertainment top ten. So it's neither your chart nor my chart. It is our chart, and uh, it's. Uh, I think it's very it's a very interesting Wittertainment top ten rundown of films from twenty fourteen. I do feel slightly uncomfortable how Why is that? Well you know how in a democracy all votes count the same. Yes. So even the dull witted and stupid, their yeah. vote counts the same as someone who is incredibly informed and knows what's going on. Yes. Are you okay. calling me dull witted and stupid? No, exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. What I'm saying is you've seen everything. And I haven't. So therefore, your votes kind of should count for more than mine. No, I totally disagree. I think that the votes should be absolutely equal because uh, you're right about democracy. And also, as George Orwell famously said, if freedom of speech is to mean anything, it must mean the freedom for people to say things you don't want to hear. Also, 
my own viewing habits are kind of skewed in weird ways. Like, you know, 12 Years a Slave came out this year, but I consider it to be last year's film. So, so you know, this, it, it makes more sense if we just do it well, equally from, from the two of us. It's been done, it's been done equally, even though yeah. in everyone's minds, my, vote, my votes count for less. No, they don't. Mm. Mm. Uh, thank I'm you. not going to prop your ego up by no, saying I no, don't no, want no, it's, it's completely no, valid. No, 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 no. no. That's I... the that's the charm of it, Simon. Is that it's on the one hand you come at it from my point of view, on the other hand you come at it from your point of view, and we meet in the middle and let's see how we do because it'll be interesting to see how those things uh, tally up. Al- uh, Elliot Cohen, first of all, uh, number Which one, one, Elliot or Elliot? Which one? Elliot Cohen. This is well, it's one of the Cohens. You know, he may he makes movies. Oh, fine. Yeah. <laughs> Not really. Under the Skin is number one for being so creepy and beautiful. Very, Boyhood, very is, number, good choice, Boyhood good is number two because it's the ultimate coming-of-age film. That's topped many critics' lists of best of 2014. Grand Budapest Hotel is at number three because I can't not laugh at everything Ray Fine says and does in that film. Also gorgeous cinematography. It is extraordinary just how funny Grand Budapest Hotel is. Also lovely to see a film that had to go out in cinemas with an instruction to the projectionists as to how to get the ratio right because it's a film which changes in its ratios as it as it changes in its time periods. But it is just consistently funny. And, of course, the great thing about Grand Budapest Hotel was it was one of the very few cases of a movie which opened with a moderate box office success and then built its way over four weeks to the top of the UK box office chart. And it's wonderful to see a film doing that. It kind of reminds you of when it was possible for a film to become a hit because people liked it and told their friends how much they liked it. Uh, Vesna Doknich. Uh, sent in top three, The Lego Movie, Everything is Awesome, Gone Girl, Everything is. is Not So Awesome, The Grand, <laughs> Budap- Grand Budapest Hotel, Everything is Awesome again. Yeah, Grand Budapest, once again, a very good choice. Jane Lambert, uh, my number one is Pride. It's the best and most important film I've seen this year and it moved me profoundly. I just loved it. Number two is Boyhood, fantastic characterization and a story about family that was beautifully made. And number three, The Imitation Game, just saw it and it beats the Babadook just for the My Top 3, Ooh. wonderfully acted Ooh. and tragically poignant. By the way, if you're moved to send us your Top 3, then fine, do it, but we won't be reading it out because, as we mentioned before, we're not here. Just one more. Dan O'Brien, Lock, Gone Girl and Nightcrawler for me with Guardians of the Galaxy getting an honourable mention for being the most fun I had in the cinema. Uh, in 2014. Guardians of the Galaxy was my surprise treat of this year because... Um, it, it, Why was it a surprise? Because I had I really didn't expect to like it. I, I'd seen the, the sort of posters and it just looked to me like the kind of, you know, the cantina sequence from Star Wars. It was just a bunch of people with blue painted skin and I didn't know the, the comic strip at all. In fact, of course, the comic strip was famously referred to even by the creators of the film as somewhat marginal. And uh, and I saw it because I'd been off for a couple of weeks and I wanted to go and start catching up. And it just happened to be the thing that was starting at the time that I was in Falmouth. And uh, so I went in with no expectation at all. And it, it I laughed all the way through. Have you seen it yet? No. You'd really enjoy it. I was put off by the trailer. Yeah, because what? Because the trailer makes it look like sort of sub Star Wars. Yeah, look rubbish. Yeah. The, so that's it. That's so that's exactly when you said why did I go with those? Because it looked rubbish. And you know what? It was so not rubbish. It's well, I, really I, hard I know to because say. because uh, it's all, just all, terrific. All the emails that we got were saying what a terrific movie it was. And really funny and really smart and really charming and not just because of the gag at the end, but you know, all the way through, laughed. And I was there in a cinema in Falmouth, and there was loads of different people. You know, like teenagers and. People like me, you know, oldies, and everyone was laughing at the So these, these are all movies that actually haven't made uh, the Wittertainment top ten. 
at the moment. What else yeah. do you want to mention with honourable kind of bubbling under status? Well, you know, the, the other movies that I would like to sort of briefly fly the flag for, Blue Ruin, which I thought was absolutely wonderful, directed by Jeremy Solnier, which was this terrific anti-revenge thriller, which was really gritty, made from very, very, very low budget, and you got wonderful reviews, and quite rightly so. Wind Rises, of course, came out this year, which is Hayao Miyazaki's last film, or at least apparently it is. I mean, he has... Uh, Maestro has declared that he's retiring before, but I think we, we it, the film felt like it was the end of an era, and that and you know Lego Movie, which is which is completely awesome. It's lovely to see both those kind of those animations. I thought they were real treats of this year. Eda, the Pavel Pavlikovsky film, I thought was wonderful and uh, fantastic uh, lead performances, beautifully shot in black and white, very moody, very engaging. Loads and loads of critics put that at the top of their list, and I you know I can understand why. Um, there was a lovely documentary out this year that didn't make it into the top ten, our top ten, which is called The Possibilities Are Endless, which was this beautiful love story. And it's a, it's really the, the film about Edwin Collins, you know, the singer-songwriter and former frontman of Orange Juice, who, who were one of my favourite bands. I remember seeing Orange Juice on stage at the Hacienda. I know I've said this before, but it was so brilliant. They all ran on stage. And Edwin Collins played this chord on his big clangy guitar. And then he turned around to the band and said, shall we tune up? Thought not, and then they just played the rest of the set like that. And it's this. And the great thing about your anecdotes is people kind of join in. They do. I know. I know. More familiar with them, they know how they're all going to go. Imagine what it's like living in my house. And um, anyway, so this is a documentary about his uh, recovery from a stroke, and it is a wonderful love story. It's about you know, it's on the one hand, it's a sort of voyage through his mind and through his past. On the other hand, it's this beautiful portrait of his relationship with his wife who just seems to be you know his absolute rock and I, I i haven't seen a more charming screen couple this year loved leviathan thought it was you know bleak and challenging and difficult i know that's not one that you rushed out to see but again i wasn't alone in no i think i didn't go and see it precisely because of the way you reviewed it and the other thing that i just wanted to quickly fly the flag for was life itself and I understand that a documentary about a film critic is not perhaps something that most people would leap at and think, OK, obviously that's something I want to go and see. And obviously I'm biased because I'm, you know, I'm interested in the future of film criticism and I've, I've I admired Ebert for so long and, um, you know, it's a terrible loss to the, to the world of film criticism. But Life Itself is this brilliantly life-affirming documentary that on the one hand does have footage from his later life when he was struggling with terrible ill health and yet it's about his passion for cinema and it's about the relationship that he has with his family who just, again, seem to be the centre of his universe. And it's, it's about the way that Ebert thought that watching film was a way of discussing ideas. People sitting in a cinema together watching a movie. There's a lo- lovely moment in it in which he does these things, he does screenings of movies, and he says, at any moment you like, you can shout out, stop, and we'll halt the film and we'll talk about what's on screen. He says, we do this every year. And and every year somebody shouts stop and we stop on a scene and we find something new and fascinating and brilliant. It's not there, but we find it anyway. (laughs) Just, you know, it's from a film critic's point of view, um, he's really, you know, he's up there with the very best of them. I agree with that. You agree with that? I absolutely, I absolutely (laughs) agree with that. And uh, a cinematic release, which was probably quite difficult to find. Well, funnily enough, it got, it got a lot of interest. Um, it was a lot of stuff was written about it, and I think it did play quite a few cinemas. But yeah, you had to go. So, I mean, it wasn't like Transformers Four, you know, sort of playing at every really? party. But no, it wasn't. No. no. But uh, if you haven't seen it, do do track it down. It's really, really wonderful. If if only to hear, you know, Ebert and Siskel arguing about movies. I mean, who who would have thought the idea of two crumpy old blokes arguing about films? I know would have. Well, at Christmas in your house, yes, 
if Towering Inferno's on the television, mm-hmm. do any of your family say, Dad, 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 tell Dad, us that story about, about the poster? Because it was so hilarious every time it you tell it hilarious. Totes hilarious. It was totes hilarious. Exactly. And dead amazed. Let's yeah. mention another movie that hasn't actually made it. To- I actually put this in my top ten, yeah. um, but it hasn't made it in due to the fact that Mark didn't really give it in. Well, hang on, I put several of those in my top ten and didn't make it in because you didn't give them any points. Yeah, that's because I hadn't seen them. Anyway, here's, here's a movie that we both it's saw. It's called Democracy, Simon. I know, that's my problem with democracy. Anyway, Gone Girl. Stalinist. Let's talk about Gone Girl. <laughs> Excellent reversal of roles. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I hadn't, I hadn't read the book. I'm the only person, I think, in the world who hadn't read the book. So I, and was, what a fantastic way to go in to see Gone Girl and not actually know which way it's going to go. And I will remember this movie for a whole number of reasons, but partly because when David Fincher comes on the show, mm-hmm. we can't really talk about it at all because you just give stuff away. Yeah. That's that's the way it goes. So uh, over to you, David Fincher. Tell us about the movie, and then he gives us the worst possible uh, run sort of summary about what happens in his movie. So let's get a little bit of Rosamund Pike, who came on the show to talk about what we did on our holidays, yes. which I enjoyed very much as well. Because you had a f- film out back to back with that was first, and then Gone Girl second, and yeah. then Gone Girl uh, came out second. So uh, here's a little bit of Rosamund Pike talking on the show back in October. You spend an awful lot of time on camera on a Fincher movie. And that is is sort of what he believes. He he would say, you know, why do you fly in actors from all over the world and you get this incredibly expensive crew and you're spending maybe, you know, half a million dollars a day in total on filming a scene and you've built this set and you've got the studio and you've got, you know, the streets locked down. Why do you then try and get people out in 20 minutes? So, you know, he would shoot perhaps the master shot for two hours solidly and of a 10-hour filming day, maybe, you know, six seven, eight would be spent actually on camera. And that is a really rare experience and incredibly rewarding. And I think if it was blind, if it was just you felt you were in the hands of some megalomaniac who just wanted to see you sort of, you know, do backflips like a dancing monkey, you you might get irritated. But there's always a purpose. He's always shaping, honing, adding detail. Are you still Um, surprised he chose you? Yes, I'll be eternally... Especially as it becomes closer and closer to the release of that film, I just think... It is so extraordinary that he, you know, when you've seen all of a director's work, the fact that they've seen any of yours is is actually quite a surprise, you know. Um, And then that he hones in and somehow knew that I had this character in me, which, you know, for those people who've read the book, they'll know that that is perhaps a disturbing thing to admit. Did you know you had Um, that character in you? Yeah, I think I did, yeah. And, I mean, as an actor, you're called upon to do all sorts of things, aren't you? Sometimes you're asked for your humour, sometimes you're asked for your romantic side, and... In this case, I was asked for something a lot more troubling. <laughs> on digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live. Rosamund Pike talking about uh, Gone Girl. Uh, and do you think that will be considered... Um, well, clearly it was a hit movie. Would, be, would they wanted it to dominate the box office for a little bit longer do you think yes it's funny it really divided people certainly when it was first seen the first response to it was loads of people said oh this is going to top you know all the critics lists and it's going to of course it hasn't and i mean i liked it very much but it is interesting how much it divided people because we had you know mail afterwards for weeks after people some people saying oh yeah i thought it was absolutely terrific some people who just completely hated it the only other film which did that this year was mr turner which I thought had a terrific performance by Tim's Paul. But for weeks after that film came out, we were getting emails from people, some of them saying, yeah, I, th- I thought it was great, and I thought Tim's Paul was really terrific, and what an interesting take on the other stuff. And other people saying, it was boring, and, you know, this is just critics getting up on their soapboxes. Real people don't like this film. And I, it was really bizarre how divisive those two were. 
Uh, I think, again, how uh, memory is playing tricks on middle-aged people. Wolf of Wall Street, I'd kind of compartmentalised so long ago. Yeah, well, that was because it was last year's award season. I mean, I would would say it comes under the same thing as 12 Years a Slave, but that's because I'm snotty critic. But Leo was on the show this year, so we we are going to include it. And uh, Wolf of Wall Street, again, an extremely divisive movie. So many people loved it and a lot of people had... You liked it more than I did. Some very, very strong objections. Uh, to it, but uh, Leonardo DiCaprio hadn't—I had never interviewed him uh, on the program before, but I thought he was—I uh, thought he was charming and engaging and thoroughly delightful. Here's a little bit of Leonardo DiCaprio talking Wolf of Wall Street. To me, the best thing a film can do is immerse an audience into somebody else's mindset. And these people weren't thinking about their victims; they were just a ship that was moving forward, completely consumed with, uh, you know. Uh, giving into their own temptations with, without any regard for the repercussions. We didn't want to take a traditional approach to this film whatsoever. Every time we had an opportunity to give the character some sort of false sense of empathy or sympathy, we strayed away from that. And, 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 and f- for me, that was very important because this is something, this attitude is rampant in our culture. This represents something that is incredibly modern to me. And, um, and Marty said very early on, if you, if, you, uh, if you don't try to sugarcoat who these people are and their intentions and show them as, authentic as authentically as you possibly can, then audience will, audiences will go along with you on that journey. And that's what we very intentionally tried to do. And, and the film is, the ending is very ironic in that regard. And like I said, some people are going to get it and some people aren't. Marty's done many films like this that I think have been polarizing when they, when they first come out. I mean, you go all the way back to Mean Streets. You know, that was a film that was one of a kind when it came out. Nobody would ever seen a film that was that sort of, uh, you know, raw and realistic about uh, the surroundings that he grew up in. I'm, I'm not necessarily, you know, um, as used to this kind of reaction. Leonardo DiCaprio talking about Wolf of Wall Street, uh, bubbling under, not quite in the top ten. I put it in there. Mark didn't. Uh, but it's uh, one of those movies that hasn't made the top ten list. A lot of them say, well, I'm sure that was last year. And they'll have put him in last year's list. But it makes it in it because that's when he was on the show. Have I bored you with my Leonardo DiCaprio story? Oh, I have. Yeah. If you Have you told it before? I, of course I have. Okay. <laughs> well, let's, let's use Leonardo up DiCaprio, our... DiCaprio, Werner Herzog, and that stuff about Towering Inferno. Let's use up our valuable time then by talking about something else that hasn't quite made it on them. We're going to start the box off, the sort of Wittertainment Top Ten uh, in just a few minutes' time, and then we'll continue that all the way through to the end of the show. Mm. I can't mention when that is because, obviously, we go out at a number of different times. Yeah, it'll be... Whenever you started listening, it'll be two hours later, unless you're listening on a podcast. Get On Up, then. Tell us about that. Well, Get On Up is this uh, biopic of uh, James Brown. You interviewed Mick Jagger for it, who I thought was was a good interview, although he did sound like somebody doing an impression of Mick Jagger. Um, The best thing about it was Chadwick Boseman, because in order for the film to work, you have to believe that somebody can get on screen and embody James Brown, which is a really hard call. And I thought... For me, the film was up there with things like the Buddy Holly story, in which Gary Busey does such a brilliant impression of doing Buddy Holly. Although Chadwick Boseman is, of course, lip-syncing to James Brown, it's one of the very few occasions of that happening in which it didn't sound to me like an inconsistent voice. And I think he's uh, one of the real sort of, you know, stars of 2014. I thought he was great in Get On Up. And here's one of the movie's producers, Mick Jagger. There's always going to be someone that can do a great job, or you are going to create a great job through movie magic, one, one or the other. 
And, you know, you, we could have gone to someone that was from Broadway, for instance, who was a great performer, you know, that. I mean, there are people that can dance. I mean, and James Brown was a great dancer and performer. It, we could have gone to a performer who was also an actor. We went to an actor who wasn't a performer and asked him to perform. So he had a really quick learning curve, you know, having to become a performer because he, he, he wasn't a performer. He didn't do Broadway. He hadn't done anything. He'd never been on stage as a singer. Well, why, why was he asked then? Well, there's several reasons. One, he's a very, very good actor. Uh, secondly, he'd had a, a big success in America in a movie called 42, which wasn't really released in Europe because, first of all, it's about baseball, which is, like, not really a big thing in Europe. And they, I'm not saying it wasn't released, but it certainly wasn't popular. But in America, this movie was a big movie, so he was sort of popular off the back of that as well as being a very, very talented actor and studios like success. So, you know, they said, well, yeah, Chad Boseman's, you know, he just had great success with, with 42. And then he tested for it and did really well. And he has to have the signature moves. He has to... Yeah, that's uh, not the only thing he's got to do. No, you know? but, but to be you... honest, I mean, yes, he's a fantastic in the performance thing. Yeah, I mean, and he had to work really hard on that. It wasn't a dancer. You know, I put him together with this choreographer that I've worked with called AJ. At the beginning, you know, uh, AJ, and we didn't have much time. You know, we had two months to prepare everything. Chad had to really work... Uh, hours and hours with AJ and you know AJ's a fantastic guy and at the beginning you know I'm sure it was tough for Chad to try and do this but he put the hours in he put in you know it's tough you know because he had to prepare for the other part of the role because yeah the the to become the concert James Brown is really difficult he's got all these other things to do mm. he has to play the adolescent James Brown he has to play the 62 year old yeah, James from Brown from 16 to 62 yeah, it's, exactly. it's, so it's, it's a lot of lot of work Mick Jagger talking about get on up and you mentioned you and your rock star friends. Chadwick Boseman but to play I mean I forget exactly it's like from 18 to 62 yeah quite an astonishing performance but also didn't you think that, w that when you saw him doing the onstage stuff you think that really is uncanny because although it's not his voice i know it's mick jagger saying some bits of it are but generally it's not he really does look like he's performing those numbers if it wasn't for him that film would have a much tougher ride so the Wittertainment Top 10 then compiled by uh, the two-man voting select committee yes <laughs> uh, a combination uh, of our votes and look at the and who would have thought uh, if you'd looked at this chart from some kind of distance, that Paddington was going to be in the top ten. But it is. It's number ten. But and I imagine that as as people are listening to this uh, this uh, programme now... Off to see it. Off to see it. They're off to see it now because it's still doing very well. The, the, the astonishing thing about Paddington was how many people thought in advance, oh, it's going to be a letdown, oh, it's going to be a disappointment. We all grew up with Paddington. We all grew up reading the books. We all People of my age and your age, similarly, probably grew up watching the television programme in the 1970s, which was that really strange mixture of stop-motion model animation of Paddington and then the cartoon stuff behind him and Michael Horden's voice. And, and then we'd heard all the stories about Colin Firth and he was going to be the voice and then he wasn't the voice and then Nicole Kidman came on, on the programme and you know talked about it. it was too scary for her kids. All these signs were saying it's going to be a catastrophe. And then not only was it not a catastrophe, but it was really sweet and funny and charming. And it is worth seeing again. In fact, I shall uh, intend to see it. Uh, you probably have seen time. it for yep. a second time by the time this is going out. So in the Wittertainment Top 10, Paddington is there at number 10. Just to repeat, don't send us your correspondence because uh, we won't be able to react to it because we ain't here. <laughs> uh, number nine, The Golden Dream. See, this is one of my favourites of the year. This is directed by Diego Camardiez, who um, first cut his teeth working for Ken Loach 
on land and freedom. And it's an extraordinary story about young people, young migrants, making this really harrowing and difficult journey from Guatemala to across the US border. And the film was based on a number of interviews that the filmmakers did with, uh, you know, getting the experience of real-life migrants, uh, hundreds of interviews. And they've then sort of turned this into a, a fictionalised film, but a film which is absolutely rooted in reality in the same way that the very best Ken Loach dramas are. It's incredibly moving. I mean, a, a really sort of breathtaking film. I've seen it a couple of times now, and the second time, if anything, it's more powerful. It it feels like a really urgent, important story. It has the you know the tang of authenticity about it. Swept the boards at um, Mexico's uh, Aerial Awards um, earlier on this year, and deservedly so. If you haven't seen it, um, it's a, it, it it's one of those movies that could easily have slipped under your radar, but it's really, really well worth checking out. It's called The Golden Dream by Diego Camar Diaz, and it's really something. And is it again? Just I know we mentioned this a lot yeah. in the program anyway, but uh, as far as distribution is, is concerned, is it one of those that you know if you sort it out, you're going to be fine, but actually yes, it's going to be a struggle. I suspect that most people will end up watching it on DVD but you know what that's absolutely fine watch it how you can it's um the, the way distribution works in the UK nowadays it is very easy to sometimes think the only thing that is available is blockbuster movies in multiplex cinemas there are independent cinemas thriving all over the country but you have to make a little bit more effort to find stuff there and you know some people their nearest art house cinema is 40 50 60 miles away and if that's the case that's why I think simultaneous distribution is the the future if you can't get to a cinema, being able to watch something streaming is very, very important or on DVD. Uh, thank you for your top threes. Ollie Ryder says, at number three, The Raid 2, a gripping mobland story with violent fight scenes so immaculately crafted it's almost like watching art. Number two, Digging Up the Marrow, caught at Fright Fest and blew everything else at the festival away for being both genuinely terrifying and funny. Adam Green is a horror director of the people and it is the only the found footage film to genuinely make you suspend disbelief. Number one, Guardians of the Galaxy. Simply <laughs> put, it was the most fun you could possibly have in the cinema. This, that phrase keeps on coming up time and time again. It a does, non-stop thrill ride with a cast of unique characters with stunning, uh, stunning action set pieces and yet with its tongue firmly in cheek with some painfully funny and endlessly quotable lines of dialogue. A future classic and also already putting episode seven in the shadows before it's even released, uh, and then concludes Uga Chaka, which presumably Uga if you've seen Chaka. it... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yes, because it's that piece of music. It mean, makes sense, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I also say, in relation to that, um, to about f you know, fight and ballet work, um, we should also mention uh, the Grandmaster Wong Kar Wai's film, which just opened a couple of weeks ago, which, again, although the film is very flawed, certainly in the version that's opening here in the UK, the Harvey Weinstein cut, as it's now known... Um, the fight scenes are, they are like watching a Hollywood musical. They are like watching Singing in the Rain or, you know, I mean, absolutely beautiful choreography. We're counting down in a somewhat distracted way the Wittertainment Top 10. We've had Paddington at number 10, The Golden Dreams at number 9. We'll pick up again, logically, with number 8, the other side of the news and sport here on Five Live. Uh, welcome back. This is the Wittertainment Top 10. We're counting down. We've already done Paddington and The Golden Dream at number 9. If you just joined us, uh, thanks for your lack of commitment. Uh, <laughs> it's Five Live, don't call. But you don't can get, get in the touch. podcast and catch up on all the rest of it if you're if you're exactly. a slacker and only joining us now plus we'll be run around a couple of times over the next few days and we're not here so don't get in touch and anyway we're going to say we're going to count down the top eight this has been compiled from mark's votes and from uh, from my votes got some of your correspondence uh, on this as well can i just ask you back because i was going to yeah. mention this at the beginning of the program go ahead 2014 um 
as far as the movies are concerned, all the, the, the press stories have been that 2014 has been a disappointing year. Really? Looking forward to some new releases in 2015, some big stuff coming out, but that 2014 has been disappointing. What do you think? I think that's rubbish. OK. I mean, I'm sorry, I just think that's rubbish. I was When I was trying to do... Because the way that we did our chart was you did your top ten, I did my top ten, and then we combined the two of them together. And so, obviously, for each of us, there's you know a bunch of movies that we put in our top ten that aren't in the Wittertainment top ten. I think it's a total nod. Barry Norman had it best when he said, somebody said to him once, do you think this has been a good or a bad year for film? He said, you know what? Year on year, it's all the same. There's always great stuff and there's always rubbish stuff. You just have to look for it. Some of your favourite stuff, Stephen Brown's top three, Calvary at three, saw this in April, thought it was going to be one of the best films of the year until the last few weeks. Nothing has come close to topping it. Number two, Interstellar. It may have just been the IMAX experience, but I was left breathless and I can't remember the last time that happened. I just have doubts it will be as wonderful in a regular format. Number uh-huh. one, what we do in the shadows. Mark is wrong about this not having enough ideas for a feature-length film. There are so many jokes that many were missed on my first viewing. The film was so popular at Leeds International Film Festival. Two extra screenings were scheduled and the film won the Audience Award. When I saw the film a second time, I found it even funnier, catching things I missed the first time and laughing at the anticipation of the punchline. I have no doubt that this will be regarded as a classic comedy in years to come and it is by far the most entertaining film of the year. OK, um, you are not alone in thinking that. I know several people who feel every bit as highly about uh, that film uh, as you do. I disagree, but as we famously know, I have a tin ear for comedy. Uh, So the box office top ten is what we normally do. This is slightly different as we're compiling it from our charts, Mark's chart and my chart. We've done Paddington and Golden Dream. This is the entertainment box office. Yes, at number eight, Mark. Unveil it, please. Well, in fact, funnily enough, this, this is Godzilla. Now, Godzilla is an interesting case because there are there's a couple of moments in Godzilla that I think rank up with any of the best cinema I saw this year, and particularly what's known as the halo moment, the Ligeti sequence, the the skydiving sequence. Um, I think overall the the film was far, far better than we had any right to expect. I mean, I think he's a terrific director But we did expect, because Gareth Edwards came on. He's a terrific director, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but the fact that, you know, the the last time Godzilla was on the big screen, it was thumpingly terrible, or at least the, the, the American version was. But I enjoyed it and you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was terrific, and also it was—it just seems so extraordinary to uh, to look at this uh, blockbuster, huge yeah. blockbuster, and then have this great uh, director from these islands sitting here and explaining exactly how he put it together and how he got the gig yeah. after doing that monsters movie, and which there, we like so much. And there, there really was in it all those sort of ideas and and the integrity of the work that he had done before for, like, you know, a fraction of the budget. And so often it happens that when, you know, when a filmmaker gets somebody who started making real sort of grassroots production, Monsters was as grassroots as you can possibly get. As I said, years and years ago, I sat in his bedroom with him whilst he showed me on the computer how he'd done the special effects for Monsters. Well, in the case of Godzilla, it's a whole new box of tricks, and there's that lovely story about going to Andy Serkis in order to kind of be able to understand how to get more sympathy for uh, Godzilla uh, himself. But, you know, it's a great big blockbuster movie which has got brains and spectacle. I mean, the Halo sequence is Hmm. one of the most exciting things I saw this year. Gareth Edwards then directing Godzilla. We spoke to him back in May. Uh, Number seven. 
Well, number seven is one of my favourites of the year, certainly. It, was in, it would have been in my top five is Frank. And when I got to halfway through the year, in fact, this was my favourite film of the year, which is just another demonstration of just how good a year it's been because there's been so much good stuff since June. It's got a wonderful screenplay co-written uh, by John Ronson, who, of course, actually did play in Frank Sidebottom's band. It's inspired by the life of Frank Sidebottom, but it's not really Frank Sidebottom. It's more Captain Beefheart and uh, Daniel Johnson, and it's a sort of brilliant, fantastical, rock musical, absurdist, wonderful piece, directed by Lenny Abramson, who I think is a terrific director, fabulous script, and at the centre of it all, Michael Fassbender wearing a Frank Sidebottom head for the whole movie, pretty much. I could be asleep. Yeah, uh, we really don't even depends. know it's you. I mean, we've only got your you're talking about. Very often it's not me, to be honest, uh... I, I was in my hotel room. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, you know, the same thing goes on. I'm, I'm just, You know, for, for one part, I couldn't really see that much outside. I had certainly nothing that was directly in front of me. I had sort of um, a bit of vision sort of to the periphery. But, again, I found that uh, at the beginning kind of claustrophobic and strange, but afterwards uh, uh, quite liberating, actually. It's quite a low-key Michael Fassbender who we had. I think. I think he was tired. Oh, do you? Yeah, I think so. Was it James? Was it him? Was it, I think it was. It was either Michael Fassbender who told us this, or James McAvoy told us this. That even though on the poster, yeah. it's Michael Fassbender with the with the head with on, the head on, yeah. That you can tell that it's Fassbender because of the way he's holding his hands. Yes, and there's so much of what he what, what his performance. Uh, I don't think you can, by the way, but anyway, those in the know, if you know Michael Fassbender, maybe you can. Well, all the way through, he does this thing that he does this kind of talking with his hands business. I can't imagine why somebody would do that. That is, to some extent, you know, taken from Chris Seavey's Frank Sidebottom character. But it is incredibly expressive because in the absence of having facial expression, you have to do it with your hand. It's kind of like a, you know, it's like it becomes like a mime show. I thought it was I thought it was really wonderful and really moving. And at the end, I cried and the songs are great. And there was a brief moment afterwards when those songs were available from, you know, iTunes, whatever it was, and, and, and it kind of went viral. And suddenly everybody was taking those songs really seriously. I think they... How wonderful if one of those songs was nominated for an Oscar. Won't happen. Uh, so th- at number six is The Imitation Game, which I went to see again um, recently. So this is... this. I think I put this at, uh, at number two. So yeah. you must have had it uh, in there as well. Uh, an ex- another extraordinary performance from... Benedict Cumberbatch, Kira Knightley, and and also let's just mention the uh, superstar who I nearly killed this year. Oh yes, that's right. You yes. nearly ran down Charles Charles Dance. Dance. But when you and when you see it the second time, there is so much to enjoy in in the Charles Dance exchanges. I think almost everything he does is with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, because he basically plays the person who interviews uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's character Alan Turing and gives him a hard time. But how fantastic to be able to do. Uh, a story with which we're familiar now, because the whole Enigma story is quite well known. But then to actually, and and you feel heroic and it's exciting with a, a wonderful World War Two story. And then, as an integral part of the Alan Turing story, this shocking, awful ending, uh, outrageous way that we were treating people even in the in, 19, uh, yeah. in the nineteen fifties and yeah. into the sixties. Unbelievably recent history. Unbelievably recent. And the imitation game, because it had uh, a director from out of these shores, you yeah. thought actually gave it an extra something anyway. Yeah, it 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 sort of reminded me to that, that's the same thing with Tinker Tailor Soldier, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I, that is what it's called, isn't it? Tinker Tailor mm-hmm. Soldier Spy. Not about spying. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, that sometimes, if you have an outsider's perspective, it enables you to look at it in a way which is more dramatically engaging because you're not 
absolutely inside that world. I, I enjoyed the film very much. I have to say, you liked it more than I did because he's right up the top of your yes. top ten. It didn't actually make my top ten, although it's one of my also rands. I did like it very much, largely because I think Benedict Cumberbatch's performance is terrific. But can I just once again say, Keira Knightley is really good in that film in a role which could very, very easily just fall into silly, posh girl caricature. Um, and I think she really makes the most of it. And it seems like such a long time ago that I used to be rude about Kira Knightley. OK, some more of your uh, top threes. Annie Maria, Babadook at number three, terrifying and heartbreaking in equal measure. Frank at number two, the beauty of oddness. Number Fantastic. one, under the skin. So hypnotic, it demanded multiple viewings on the big screen. Ideas explorations and questions of the highest order. Very, very good call. Andy Best says, Interstellar for restoring my faith in science fiction narrative movies and for realising why we make the effort to see brilliant works like this on the big screen. Force majeure for shocking me out of my seat towards the start of the movie and for maintaining the tension right through to the end. And Boyhood for taking me on a journey filled with believable people. It's another journey he's been on. And making me care about every single one of them, which brings us to our number five movie. Yeah, so... Boyhood, I've, you know, for me, is right up there with the very, very best releases of 2014, a film that was 12, 13 years in the making, in which we actually watch our central protagonist grow up before our very eyes. Now, that may sound like it's a gimmicky idea. You know, let's film it over 12 years. Let's actually have somebody going through adolescence and, you know, to, to manhood. The genius of what Richard Linklater does is... He's a genuinely humanist director. He's interested in people. He's He cares about people. And watching Boyhood, I mean, it's funny and moving and tragic and at times incredibly painful. Of course, it's not just about boyhood. It's about motherhood. It's about fatherhood. It's about sisterhood. It's about brotherhood. It's about all of those things. But right at the heart of it is this sense that Richard Linklater, who, you know, almost more than any other director working uh, at the moment you know, certainly in America, is really fundamentally concerned with people and he likes people and he cares about his characters. And after three hours, the thing with Boyhood was it was almost exactly the same length as that wretched Michael Bay Transformers movie, which just seemed like you were in there for a 100 years. In the case of Boyhood, the time just flew by. Wonderful, wonderful film. And uh, and is only at number five, I say, because I didn't see it, so therefore I haven't voted for it. But, no, no, sure. But I did. F uh, this is one of the reasons that my vote should count for less. No, I disagree. This is this is democracy. This is how it works. Anyway, but Boyhood has made uh, so many top threes. Here's another one: Craig Campbell. Nightcrawler was really interesting, different and challenging. Locke was brilliant. How could a film about a man driving and talking on his phone be so engaging? And Boyhood. It sounds like being damned with faint praise, but this was really nice. <laughs> Great. Yeah, well, there we go. What a lovely example of what I was saying. Really nice. Yeah, nice is now thought of as a terrible word, but it is. It's a film which loves its characters. Great to see a family mature and change over time in such a challenging and innovative film. Great to see the cast change over time. There you go. It's almost as though you've sent that in. Did I send that in? I don't think I'm sorry. So, so uh, we've had The Imitation Game at six. We have Boyhood at uh, number five. This is the Wittertainment Top Ten. Uh, and here's another one that uh, that I, I'm sort of... I, I, I really feel as though I should have seen, but it sounds too terrifying. Ba -ba so this was, for me, the kind of the great breakthrough of the year. Jennifer Kent, uh, who wrote and directed Babadook. And it's, it's a fantastic, uh, chilling... Describe it as a horror movie. It's strange. William Friedkin, you'll know this, William Friedkin, director of The Exorcist, 
saw the Babadook and was completely knocked out by it. And uh, he said uh, on Twitter, he said, it's the scariest film I've ever seen. And as a result of that, in America, where it really hadn't been seen very widely, um, the distributors got in touch with him and he hosted a screening. And now there's more screenings happening as a result of it. And people are starting to catch on to this. And I think it's brilliant that Friedkin championed it. But the thing for me about Babadook is that it's really chilling. It's like a, you know, like a ghostly chiller. But the most important thing about it isn't how scary it is. The most important thing about it is that it's a film about the relationship between a mother and a child. And it's got this wonderful psychological underpinning and it's about maternal guilt and it's about pedophobia and it's about anxiety and it's about projecting your fears onto somebody else. And in many ways, it's a kind of it would make a very interesting double bill with we need to talk about Kevin, that brilliant movie by Lynn Ramsey. I have to say for me, it was my favourite film of the year because I was just so taken with it. The design is brilliant. It throws back to early cinema. It has these wonderfully sort of early forms of animation. If you get a chance, check out the short film that Jennifer Kent made uh, called Monster, which is kind of really the beginning of this. But I know loads of people who've seen Babadook have been completely creeped out by it. I think that's great. But for me, it, it's more than just creepy. It has depth as well. Uh, so we'll do the top three for you in just a moment. David Grice's top three, Gone Girl, slick and twisted thriller that proves that Fincher is still a major player in the film business. Two, The Raid 2, brutal, nasty, artful, perfectly choreographed and one hell of a thrill ride. I'm praying Mark has seen it by now. I haven't. Keep praying. <laughs> Uh, and number three, Interstellar, highly ambitious, but more than enough breathtaking visuals and impressive ideas to give it credit despite the questionable ending uh, and honourable mentions to the Lego movie uh, and Edge of Tomorrow, which I also thought was a, was a terrific film and Tom Cruise sort of playing against. Yeah. Or, or as it's now called on DVD, Live, Die, Repeat, dot. No, Live, Die, Repeat, colon. Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, is that right? Yeah, which, as Dave Norris points out, it was the original title before it became... But they, it was one of the very few cases in which a major A-list star movie was effectively retitled for DVD recently. OK, Good. so here's our top three, then. At number three, it's Bell. And you and I both loved this mm -hmm. equally. I think Amra Sandy's brilliant. She did a, such a fantastic job with this. And it's the amazing thing about it is that it's inspired by a true life story. I mean, obviously they've had to fill in a lot of the detail because very little is known about Dido Elizabeth Bell, but it's a film about the end of slavery, which somehow manages to bring the charm of an Austin-esque period drama and a discussion about gender equality into this true life story with fantastic uh, performances and it was gripping and important. And, of course, in America, it was championed by uh, Oprah Winfrey. And in some of the cinemas that it played in in America, on a screen-by-screen -screen basis, it outsold the Spider-Man competition. And good for it. And uh, let's hear some Tom Wilkinson uh, then, uh, because he came, uh, he came on the show and he was with, Google, uh, with Amarasanti. Yes, with Amarasanti. Um, and here he is talking about the nature of the, the d developing and changing relationship between Bell and Lord Mansfield, who is Tom Wilkinson, and how that impacted on his ruling is the crucial court case of the Zong massacre in the movie. It's not clear what you, and nor should it be clear, what you see over the course of the movie is the sort of developing love and respect that Lord Mansfield has for... For Dido, I mean, she becomes his assistant. She's very competent. She's politically very passionate, which he is... You don't quite see. He, he observes it without sort of endorsing it. And then 
towards the end of the movie, or at the very end of the movie, you see somehow how, it, how his relationship with Dido may have influenced his judgment on this insurance case. You, but it's never explicit, and nor should it be. But what you do, what's interesting is, is that relationship. It's a good relationship, and it's beautifully done in the film. And that extraordinary discovery, which I'm sure filmmakers and screenwriters just live every day to, to try and stumble upon, a story whereby the chief justice in this country, like the top judge, who's sitting on this uh, really complex case, which is going to lead to ultimately the abolition of slavery yeah. uh, in the UK, and he has this woman, he calls him Dido, that's the, the bell, growing up in his house, who he's bringing up as effectively one of his daughters. What a discovery that is. I know. In the Wittertainment Top 10, at number two, it is Interstellar. Tell me what you liked so much oh, about Interstellar. Well, I, I thought the performances were fantastic. I thought it was extremely moving. It was very powerful. And as a number of our listeners have pointed out, it's not... Well, it came out in the, in the interview uh, that we did with Chris Nolan. It is about space, but it's not really about, it's not about space. space. And, and if you've suffered any kind of separation or loss in your life, that's what people were writing to us. I mean, you're either blown away by the IMAX or you might have thought it was boring or you didn't like the ending. But a number of people have said, um, uh, I lost one of my parents recently and I found it unbearable. Or I've been separ- you know, I'm separated, I can't yes. see my daughter. And, yeah. and I found that the, the relationship between Matthew McConaughey uh, and his daughter Mackenzie Foy, yeah, who was in an, fantastic. An, an astonishing performance, uh, was almost unbearable. But I, th- I think we kind of agreed that the stuff that didn't work was sort of hugely overbalanced by the, f- the stuff that did. Um, and the sequence where he leaves his family behind and then the next time you see him, he's in the rocket, is mm. two minutes of... Of fantastic cinema. And here's Chris Nolan when he came on the show. Here he is talking about the the whole uh, problem of translating the science of Interstellar into the visuals of the movie. Kip Thorne's done a lot of uh, writing about wormholes um, and about the possibility of their existence. Kip was able to explain to me uh, how a wormhole would work and what it would look like. Um, and indeed, he was able to give us the equations, to give the equations to our, our special effects team. Yeah to render this well exactly as it, as it really would appear. Is that a long is equation? Science. Is that like the kind of equation that Michael Caine writes on the board in your movie, or is it a bit shorter than that? I'd be lying if I said I ever bothered to read the equations. <laughs> I, I, gave the, I gave my special effects supervisor's email to, to Kip and said, you deal with him. Uh, what I did is I looked at what the results would produce, because obviously as a filmmaker and a storyteller, um, that has to trump everything for me. And, and I did warn them all. I said, look, you can use these, these real equations. You can use the real science. But if it's not comprehensible to the audience visually, if it doesn't look like something really exciting that we want to see, um, we're going to have to manipulate that. But what happened was, both in the case of the wormhole, and indeed when we did that same process with the black hole that appears in the film, uh, both of these phenomena, uh, when the real science unveiled what these things would really look like in the real world. They look incredible. I mean, beyond anything I could have conceived of or my production design could have conceived of. I think two of my favourite interviews of the year actually have been d- directors, David Fincher and Chris Nolan. Yeah, and they, because they both talk so eloquently about their movies. Interstellar, then, is at number two. I had it at number one. Yes. But obviously this is a, a, yeah. an amalgamation That's of right. two minds, yes. a mind meld. Yeah. That's what it is. So what is our movie? Well, you've probably guessed it by process of elimination uh, as to what the movie of the year is. Well, what would you say? Well, then? it's fascinating. Listening to that rundown, the top ten, you could probably hear, you know, Simon and me sort of fighting uh, to, uh, over some titles. But I think we Hang can... On, well, let's do a, a countdown. OK, go ahead. Number ten is Paddington. Yeah. Number okay. nine is The Golden Dream. Yeah. Number eight is Godzilla. Good. Seven is Frank. Yay. Six is The Imitation Game. 
Hey. <laughs> if we're going to be parochial Go about on. it. Five is Boyhood. Four is The Babadook. Three is Belle. Two is Interstellar. And at number one, came out 12th of September 2014. Our number one movie is... Something I think we can both feel very proud of, and that's Pride. Pride is one of those movies that takes a story that you think, um, you know, this cannot possibly be true, that there's this, this story of this very unlikely allegiance between these out-and-proud gay Londoners and these striking Welsh miners, and it, it follows the history very closely, but it also has just the right amount of dramatic invention. It has a wonderful script by Stephen Beresford, who's known better as a playwright, but he's written this brilliant, brilliant screenplay for it. And it's a film which will have you just punching the air. I mean, I obviously, it had me at hello because it's about a subject that I'm interested in. And actually, I do remember the events that are depicted in the film. But I just think you'd have to be really, really stony of heart not to be won over by a film as funny and charming and important and forthright as Pride. Uh, Bill Nye comes on the show. He's, he's welcome. He could come on every week if every he wanted week. to. But he, he came on the show to talk about uh, both the brilliance of Stephen Beresford's script and the importance to him of the two main issues in the movie. I was desperate to be in it. And it's not, you know, I'm, I've been enthusiastic about most of the things I've been in. This one, I was really, really keen to be in it. And the writing is, it's completely brilliant, I think. And he's, he's pulled off something quite really difficult, which is to make, a, uh, is to not only deal with two big themes, but also to be responsible about the historical uh, aspect of the story and also to make it funny. You know, it's quite a tough... And to make it moving as well, it's very affecting, you know, some of it. Uh, so uh, it's true that the writing is always what draws me to anything. Why were you so desperate? There aren't many great scripts and there aren't many good scripts. Most scripts aren't any good. You know, you are accustomed to sitting down with a script and you get halfway through and you think this is not going to make a good film. With this one, it was really, really obviously going to make a great film. There's that, but also I am very moved by both of elements that are in the movie. One, you know, the emancipation of gay men and women in, in my lifetime is one of the stories that you would point to if you wanted to tell your grandchildren something mm. and that you were obscurely proud to have been around while they were happening. The other, you might point to the civil rights movement in America. You know, those were the things that, on our watch, as it were, those were the developments which would make you, which would fill you with pride. So there was that, and, 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 it's an, and also the miners' strike, which was... Uh, you know, an enormous event in my middle years and uh, something that was not entirely well represented at the time so, and certainly not from the point of view of the families. So I thought it presented them with great dignity and respect. So I was keen to be a part of that as well. And I think we observed at the time, amongst the kind of many eulogies that came in, that if yeah. you only got your history of the minor strike from the movies, <laughs> yes. it wouldn't really bear much representation to the way you might remember it. But... Uh, and the soundtrack from this movie would, was probably downloaded instantly. People came out of the yeah. film. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that. I think the, the the genius of the film is that it does manage to have a happy ending, despite you know the, the particular historical ending of the miners' strike. The film itself has an uplifting, and uh, I yeah. I mean, it's it's the film is a celebration. You come out of it, as I said, punching the air, and uh, you know wishing I, to go I, on a march immediately. Pride. 
is our number one. There is power in a union. And thank you very much indeed for uh, for all the correspondence. Thank you for your top threes. Uh, we've appreciated them. Thank you for continuing to listen. It has been a good year, hasn't it? It's been it? a very that, good year. Look 76% that, better than that, last year. Yeah, I know. But in terms of, I mean, us, obviously. But in terms of those films, who's, who is saying it's been a bad year? Lots they of people. They don't know nothing. Anyway. This has been a Something Else production for BBC Radio 5 Live. If you haven't had yours yet, I mean, I know we're beyond Christmas, but, you know, if we wish you a happy continuing Christmas season yes. and a happy new year, and we look forward to your custom in 2015. Ten more years. Well, we're almost at the end, but we do have one more special treat. Yes. Uh, we, I mean, I didn't think we could take the Babadook thing any further than we possibly could, but it turns out that there's... That we can. Yes, it turns out there's a gem. You've got something that goes up to 11. You're on 10, you're on 10 all the way. Where'd you go? These go up to 11. I think that's more scary than me talking in a pinky and perky voice. No, nothing is actually more scary than you talking in a pinky and perky voice and telling the listeners you're going to be round their bins at three o'clock. But can we just, just, just once more? Just once more, go on, just indulge us. I remember this first time. We can all join in. See, the thing is, Agadoo were more scary than anything. <laughs> Even if you haven't seen the movie, look at Agadoo uh, on They YouTube weren't called Agadoo. They no, were but songs. the song. What were they, who were they called? Black Lace. Were they called Black Lace? It was Black Timmy, Lace. Was Timmy Mallet in them? No, that was Bomb Ballerina. Really? Yeah, I know. Timmy Mallet was in a band called Bomb Ballerina? He, well, he kind of was Bomb Ballerina. And did they do Itsy Witsy Teeny Weeny? Yes, correct. That was worse. That was more scary. Now, I could do Black Lace. That's far more scary than anything. I haven't seen Babadook, but definitely more Baba scary. Babadook, duck, duck. Can I wish you a Happy New Year? You can. Okay. And can I wish you ten more Happy New Years? Ten more Happy New Years on this earth? No, I, in the radio studio with me. Very good. Thank you very much indeed for listening. Thank you for downloading us yet again. We'll try and be better next year. Babadook, duck, duck. On digital and online. This is BBC Radio 5 Live. bbc.co.uk slash 5 Live.